0: Well, Westridge, it is, uh, it's a real joy for me to be back with you. Uh, Darren is uh, a dear friend, and so I enjoy coming in to spend time with he and Shelby. He made me amazing dinner last night, and that definitely was part of the motivation to get here. Um, but as well, uh, because I've, I've come to love you all in the short time that I've known you as a church, so I, I'm thrilled to be a part of this Believe series and this in this context, part of what we're asking today is what, what are the possibilities uh, for what it looks like to be the church? Um, and, and I believe one of the greatest defining factors, of the reality that for us, um, we live lives not based on the circumstances around us. It, it, it's much more about what happens within us and how we live. And so the truth is we can live the good life even in a recession. We can live a good life even in the midst of difficult times, even in the times that we're not healthy or things aren't going our way, that much of the world um, lives basically based on their circumstances. Life happens to them. Part of what I'm going to propose to you today is that if we will live into these really simple, basic Christian rhythms, I'm going to give you seven of them, and if we'll live into them weekly, we can live a radically different life. Uh, The the truth is for most of us... um, That if I asked you or you asked me, hey, how are you doing or how was your last few months or uh, how's your year going? Uh, Depending on who you are, how well I know you, how good a mood, bad mood I'm in, I could tell you uh, two radically different stories uh, about what's going on in my life right now. And both would be equally true. Um, So in the interest of getting to know each other a little better, how about I do that? I'll tell you a little bit about my year. Um, so which would you prefer, uh, to hear first, the good news or the bad news? news. Let me give you the bad news because we end on it. It's really depressing. Um, (laughs) and the good news is, is totally different. Um, if, if I were to track back this year to say the start of the summer, um, we started our summer on Memorial Day. We had a great family day. Uh, but the day ended while I was watching my Houston Rockets lose another big playoff game and, uh. And I stepped off out of my bed into a puddle and didn't realize that our house was flooding really rapidly. Um, So we spent the night trying to keep the house basically clean. This is our bedroom. We're cutting out sheetrock and pulling up floors and dealing with furniture and electrical problems and air conditioning units that we're under. And it did not start the summer off well. Um, And I didn't have flood insurance, so it was a bad day. Uh it started off a bad season. Um after just a few days of being moved out, we moved in and stayed with some friends. And I got one of those middle of the night phone calls that um you just you don't ever want to get. Um, I'm really close to my younger brother, just a couple years younger than I am. We went to school together uh most of our lives, went to study at university at Baylor together. We were roommates while we were there. Um at Baylor, number two in the nation in football, by the way. Um, and uh, and Brian met a wonderful, wonderful woman that he married, uh, and married into a great family. We, I come from a family of pastors, and Brian's wife, Amy's father, was a pastor. He's a regent there at Baylor, uh, well-known, really great guy, uh, very personable, had pastored for many, many years. And unbeknownst to me, just a few months ago, after having a bit of a heart condition, uh amy's father phil fell into a significant depression he actually stopped preaching at his church and took a leave of absence and in the middle of the night on this night uh, this pastor who baptized more people than i could count took his own life and um he's the grandfather to six of my nieces and nephews one that two days before had just been announced at her graduation as the valedictorian of her class and it's so much to look forward to and i just got to tell you we We've been hurting as a family. We've, just, we've been hurting. The day that we mourned him at his funeral, I got a phone call at the end of the funeral that a dear friend uh, that I work out with uh, at my health club, he's the kind of guy you just pile up to. He was a longtime Major League Baseball player. He had started working. Uh, he worked for a while as the disciplined guy for Major League Baseball, which means he has amazing stories. Everybody had got in trouble, he was the one that punished them. So, He's a great guy to have a drink with because he can just tell stories day and night. And, and he just had the sweetest, gentlest spirit. But um, he was going through a difficult breakup, and he had a, a child with this woman. And, um, and on the day of the other funeral, I got a call that, uh, that my friend was murdered by his ex-girlfriend. And, um, and I, I'm supposed to be a pastor, and I'm supposed to have answers for times like this. And I just got to tell you, Westridge, I didn't have them. I was taking it on the chin. It was hurting physically, constantly hurting and sad. Um, There's more, but I'm feeling depressed just telling you this much. So maybe I'll cut to the good part of the summer. Um, Even in the midst of moving out of our house, part of what you find out is that kids are really resilient. In fact, we, we moved out of our house into friend's house, and their house is a lot nicer than our house. So Uh, My kids had a blast. So um, as we, and they, we moved in with people that loved them, right? So they're eating great food. And uh, my son, Christian, my nine-year-old, while I was pulling up carpet and trying to keep molds from growing in the walls and long days of work over there, he called and left me a voicemail on my phone. I should actually play it for you because it's funnier. But he says this, he says, dad, I don't know if I ever told you that I like our house, but if I did, forget about it. He says, uh, he says, you should just blow it up and we can live here, right? (laughs) Because, uh, cause our friend Jerry had a big pool with a water slide and a pool table, and he's like, "This is the good life." I don't know what happened to our old house, but this is awesome, right? Then we uh, we had some friends who felt sorry for us that we didn't have a place to go. They had just bought a house in Tahoe, and uh, and we'd never been to Tahoe. They said, "You should come with us." Just. And and if you're a pastor, you may have experienced this in many of your lives. We didn't ever vacation well as a family, like growing up. But we didn't really have enough money to. We didn't take many vacations. Like our big one one year was to Arkansas. Um, and my dad, when we'd spend money on vacations, he'd get really uptight. So it'd be like, have fun now, um, which is not really conducive to actually having fun. Um, so... I inherited a little bit of that. So all of a sudden our friends say, come with us to Lake Tahoe. We'll pay for everything, right? You wouldn't believe how great food tastes when it's free. It's awesome. (laughs) It's amazing. And so we had the best time. We came back and I got some things sorted out at the house and uh, took care of some small things. And then I I took my daughter Hannah uh, on a college visit to Boston. Um, We were invited while we were there uh, to visit some friends, some friends that are members of the church. We happen to have some members of the church uh, that are a part of the Bush family, and so would you believe we spent the Fourth of July uh, with President Bush and Barbara at Kenny Bunkport. Um, we uh, we this is at the barbecue, and then you can see there's a famous room inside the house on the other photo. Um, this is uh, the homestead in Kenny Bunkport for President Bush. This, if you ever watch a documentary, much of it is shot in this room, and literally Barbara has taken a fancy. Um, Uh, To me, because some of her kids and grandkids love going to church now, and she's like any other grandmother in the world. She's thrilled that her kids are going to church. And so we just got to sit and visit for a couple of hours with the president and Barbara. We got to go out that night in his boat on the ocean and watch the 4th of July fireworks from the ocean, right? People don't get to do that. And uh, it was amazing. And it's my last summer with my daughter. I was just so scared that I would be an utter disappointment to her this summer. And it was beautiful. I got to go home, sort out a few more things, and then I made it, uh, one of my favorite trips, uh, to Rwanda. I had all of the staff of the organization that I serve as a board member, Living Water International. We get to drill wells in 23 countries. And I had all of our country directors from Africa together, and I got to lead them at a two-day spiritual retreat. I got to be their pastor and pray for them, encourage them. These are my heroes. These people are doing life-saving, life-changing work. And it was beautiful for me. I left Rwanda to go to Israel. And in Israel, we had so much to do. Um, One morning we woke up and went out on the Sea of Galilee. There's this beautiful boat. And the captain of the boat, while I was reading the story of uh, Jesus approaching the boat and Peter uh, getting ready to go out and walk on the water, the captain of the boat interrupts me and he says in front of the group, I wonder if your pastor has any real faith. (laughs) I said, so I... I walked on water for like a split second. It was, uh, it was awesome. It was only a split second. Very soon after I fell in and, uh, there I was. But, uh, I I think the problem was the reason I, I didn't stay up long is because I took my iPhone out of my pocket and I I think it was a sign of a lack of faith. So next time (laughs) I'm keeping my iPhone in, we're going to see what happens. So I'll report back. Uh, I ended that trip, right, getting to baptize my oldest daughter uh, in the Jordan on the same spot, exact same spot where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. It's as good as it gets. So l- let me tell you this, Westridge, your, your summer life for years so far may not have been to the same extremes, but often life is going to be filled with some things that are really good and really bad, or sometimes it's all bad or all good. But we're not a people that flow on the tide of our circumstances. Something has to be developing in us, an inner life, and some simple rhythms that whether things are going good or bad, we're living the good life. And so those are the rhythms I want to offer to you today. The band's going to lead us in a song. I'm going to invite you, as they do that, to pray a bit and say, what's my life about? What are the things that root me? Or am I really blown around by having the right job or not the right job, healthy, not healthy, feeling good, not feeling good, family members doing well, not doing good. If there's chaos around me, I get pulled easily into it. Or are we a people that stay up to the same things and allow those to sustain us in some new ways? I'm going to offer them to you, seven of them, and I'm going to ask you on a weekly basis to live into these seven rhythms. And I'm going to promise you that I believe if you'll do it, that it's completely life changing. So let's take a moment to pray, experience this song together, and then I want to get up and teach you for a bit. So Westridge, Darren was telling you, I, uh, I flew in uh, last night on a late night flight uh, from Iraq. Our, uh, our church is blessed uh, to have some opportunities to serve many of the refugees. We've been seeing things on the news. Um, millions of people that have been displaced, more than 60 million people right now in the world. That had been forcibly displaced from their homes, and so uh, to see this week, there's a couple of photos of in a few of these refugee camps. Well, this this is uh, as we were among children. Um, we asked some of the kids, "Tell us about where you're from," and the kids painted some photos like this with homes and houses and fires and cooking and fruit on the trees. They were all very similar. A lot of them with date trees. Uh, and then, what would happen, What happened the day that ISIS came into your village? And, um, and the kids began to tell through artwork stories of violence and persecution. Most of them had people running. Most of them ran with just what they had on their back. And, uh, and in these camps, uh, we, I met people... Uh, Like this dear brother that just took it on himself to start teaching the kids, right? They're in a hotel that was never finished out. It was just cinder blocks. They took over and made it a refugee camp and he just started having school for the kids. They're doing whatever they can to make the best of their life. And I wondered as I was there, as people showed such spirit and strength, I wondered for those of us who have so much and we easily fall into the pits, right? For no apparent reason at all. If we would have the inner strength Um, to live life well if circumstances were really bad and so the seven things i'm going to share with you today i believe uh, god forbid that any of us would ever see or live in a refugee camp but i believe even at the lowest of lows if we would live into these rhythms that we would find that we're blessed and content so let me offer you those seven things darren uh, hit well uh, the primary the base of all of it last week when he talked about what you're to be as an authentic community. So the first one is to be real. You, you have to live in a rhythm of being honest and real with each other. And yet if you grew up like me in any kind of religious circle, the typical religious thing would be to say, the more you look perfect, the more that you look like you have it together, the better Christian that you are. And what I've experienced in my life as a pastor is that it's usually the opposite the people that look like they have it together are living a lie and the people that are really walking with god really well their life just kind of looks like a holy mess you know what i'm talking about it's just it's just a mess and there's always problems but they're sorting through them and they're doing really honestly and walking into those places and so i want to encourage you to be a people who often acknowledge that you fail when's the last time that you turned to a friend a family member a coworker and you said i'm really sorry I was wrong. Was it this week? This month? Has it happened this year? Because if it hasn't happened, it's not because you haven't done anything wrong. (laughs) Because you have. There's something healthy about living an honest life that on a regular basis says, that was wrong, I missed that, forgive me. And that turns to others, as the scriptures have told us, and confesses our sins to God to one another. In James, it tells us, confess your sins to whom? To one another. And so, have you done that this week, this month, this year? This is what I want to tell you. I, I had a, an amazing job when I was a kid. I got a job uh, from a friend uh, working uh, to record AA meetings. Uh, I was in 10th grade. And, uh, and one of my first jobs... Uh, He was in recovery, and he realized that a lot of people wanted to listen to tapes of AA meetings when they were on the road. And so uh, I would go, and there used to be these things. uh, Many of you kids have never seen them. They're like iPods, but not. They're plastic things called cassettes. And... um, (laughs) And we would take those, and I would record things, and I, I'd duplicate those and share them. And so part of my job was to go sit in AA meetings. Now, if you've never been to an AA meeting, I hope one day that you do. You just support a friend. If, if, if your addictions and recovery is not your thing, you get to go support them. But, but what I found were the most beautiful people I'd ever met. And you know why? They were 100% honest. There was no fake in those meetings. And I thought, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. At Ecclesia, we have an opportunity for people uh, to tell their life story when they join, join a small group. Has anybody here ever done this? You actually told your life story to a group of people? A couple of you. It's a life-changing experience. And I'll regularly get a phone call uh, from the people in the early years when I was really over small groups. The ch- church is much larger now. But um, I would get a phone call from people, and this is what they'd say almost every time. Hey, pastor, I've been thinking about it. I'm telling my story tomorrow, and I'm thinking I should tell, like, the PG version of my story. Um, I'm thinking the R-rated version won't go over so well. And uh, and they wanted to just hold back the hard parts, right? And literally, what I found almost everybody believed was that if they really told everything, if people really knew the kind of things that come into my brain or the things that I've done, they thought, people are going to walk out on me. If I really tell that story... What most people told me was they they had a clear vision of how it would go, and people would begin to get up from their chairs and throw their chairs over and walk out of the room and leave them and say, that guy's not my friend. If you did that, if you think things like that. So I've been to more than 100 of these, and you know what happens every time, 100% of the time? People get to these hard places in their story where they're afraid to tell, and every time what happens is people start to move closer to that person. Literally, chairs start to inch in closer. People often will begin to put their hand on the person as if to say, I hear you and I'm not leaving you. And also what people basically say is like, I didn't know you were that screwed up and it really makes me feel good. Like, (laughs) you're more screwed up than me and that makes me feel so much better, right? Or we're screwed up in the same ways and uh, that gives me hope and if I thought you were perfect it do- doesn't build up you doesn't lead to a great friendship. In fact, think of the good friends you have. Great friendships are never formed because you look at someone and you go, "You know what? You're awesome and I'm also awesome. <laughs> we should be friends together." It doesn't work that way, right? Real friendships form cuz I go, "Darren, you're a mess in the same ways that I'm a mess and we could have like a support group called friendship." Where we work through our messiness together. Uh, Because for both of us, God's up to good things. But we got problems. We got places we miss it. And we need each other more based on the places that we're not perfect. And so, in that place, be real. If you fake it, you're doing nobody any good. You're not going to grow, and you're setting back the people around you. So, Westridge, you're a community, you're a rare place where everybody can decide we're going to be radically honest and authentic we're not going to fake it. So first, be real. Second, be kind. Mm-hmm. I believe that the world can be changed in simple, small, and big acts of radical kindness. And, and I think the best um, in terms of acts of kindness, would you give me a little house lights? I like to see everybody's eyes. I'm afraid people fall asleep on me, and then I quit. As soon as two people fall asleep, by the way, I'm done. Um, <laughs> it's just my rule, so... Unless you're a narcoleptic. We have real narcoleptics, and I'll bump the number to three. Um, <laughs> radical kindness. Proverbs twenty-five, eleven talks about speaking the right word at the right time. Have you been with somebody they just knew? They could see that you were going through something, and they spoke a kind word to you, and it changed your day, maybe even your week, maybe even your life. My proposal to you is that real kindness, rarely does it happen just by accident. Sometimes it will. But the best kinds are planned. You actually get up every week and think, God, to whom could I be radically kind this week? Because those opportunities abound. And we begin to look and just say, I'm going to make his week this week. I'm going to give a gift. I'm going to handwrite a note. I'm going to do something that radically changes his or her world. Uh, some happen with family members. Right? Years ago, the act of kindness that literally changed my life uh, was when I was living with my grandfather for a summer. Now, my grandfather was an old school revivalist Baptist pastor. If he was here, he'd turn up the heat, preach on hell. Many of you would come forward again just to make sure you're going to heaven. And um. Just who he, who he, and he could be a little bit intimidating. And I lived with him for a summer because I got a job near his house. And for some reason, the car that I had recently bought for two hundred fifty dollars wouldn't start on this particular day. I would, must have been ripped off. And um. But my grandfather had a new car, and so when it didn't start, he said that I could borrow his new car, one of the only new cars I ever remember having. It was a long Oldsmobile, and I drove really carefully to work and made it home, all, all without any problem. And something happened in the driveway, I'm still not sure to this day, but somehow I managed to bring the car and the house together. Um, <laughs> And I, I clipped like the faucet on the side of the house. And so I've dented the brick, I've dented the car, and there's water spraying everywhere. And so I call my grandfather and I'm just like, Pop, if you could come home, and if you know a plumber that you could maybe bring with you, um, that would be great. And I'm standing in the driveway, just my hand shaking. I I'm just ready for him to give it to me. And I'll never forget him walking down that driveway, feeling his big paw on the back of my neck, and I'm just bracing for it. And he said these words. He said, son, it's okay. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. And I thought, it's, it's technically two things. Um, <laughs> I damaged your house and your car. But it, on that day, I knew that my grandfather loved me more than he loved the car or the house. And I, I tell you, I, I, I've been able to take risks in my life because I knew if I fail, I knew I was still loved. I didn't need to perform. Because failure could be an okay option. And you will have opportunities. You're gonna have something this week with your kids and family members to extend that kind of kindness. And what I wanna tell you is that kind of kindness is a foundational piece for real Christianity and it changes things. And so look for those opportunities. Make it a regular rhythm in your life. And every week at the end of the week, or the beginning of the week, you ought to be able to say, who have I been kind to, and who will I be kind to next week? So be real, be kind. Thirdly, seek beauty. Philippians 4.8 says this, and it says it really well. And I can read it if I put my glasses on. Finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with beauty and truth meditate on whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is good whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy paul says we're to be a people that meditate on the good what's beautiful how much do you think about it and my guess is that most of you are like me i obsess over the problems in my life because i think somehow i'm trying to fix them Right? I'm constantly going, this is a problem, how am I going to fix it? And so I just think about it over and over and over. I think about it in my sleep. How many of you are like that? In your sleep, you're working on problems. And, and when we all of a sudden have a difficult outlook, then we have to realize, I spend a lot more time thinking about my problems than my blessings. And so it's a simple suggestion. I want to ask you to capture moments of beauty, at least two, every week. Literally, you can capture them with your phone, But you stop and you notice them and then you focus on them. You write it down someplace and daily you think about it. For me, mine right now is that I'm in this beautiful phase. I got two older daughters and then I got two younger boys. The boys are 12 and nine. And for some reason right now, when I get home, even just from a day's work, you know what they do? They jump up, run to me and hug me. Doesn't always happen, right? There've been seasons where I come home And they won't acknowledge that I'm there. If they're playing video games or reading a book, I have to get in their face like, I am your father, and you must acknowledge me, right? (laughs) So when they come, they get up without being prompted. They get up, and they hug me. They didn't ask me for money or anything. They just came and hugged me. (laughs) That's a beautiful thing. And so what happens, I think, for many of us is those beautiful things happen, and we just brush them off. You don't think about them again. This is what I going to suggest to you. In the Christian life, if you want to live it well, you've got to soak in those moments. You've got to appreciate them and celebrate them. So every week, note at least two. Write them down, capture them, and then focus on them. Think long and hard about them. So be real, be kind, seek beauty. Fourthly, seek God. God is already seeking you, but you must stop and turn around and pursue God. Now, the only real way to do this well is to pray and to read the Bible daily. Pray and read the Bible daily. My guess is there are very few of us in the room that have a daily routine of prayer and scripture reading. Some of us go a couple times a week, or when I feel like it, or when I can. But if you will orient your schedule every day to take, it can literally be six minutes, three minutes to pray, three minutes to read the Bible. Just connect with God. Be reminded you're in a relationship. And in that place, it is radically transforming. Now, when you read the Bible well, a few things you need to know. When you read the Bible well, you always read it humbly. So you're reading it, and it's inviting. I love the sound of babies, by the way. So if you ever bring your kid in, and it's like that's just a reminder you're a rich church. You've got babies and beautiful things happening. Um, if you read the Bible well, it will never tell you, you know, your wife really needs to read this passage, right? <laughs> don't be, don't be that person. You know, been reading the Bible and she needs this bad. She needs it really bad. You leave it on her nightstand with a little note, like I really suggest you read this. Um, if you read the Bible while well, you read it humbly, it always convicts us of our own sin. If you read the Bible well, you need to read it in community as well. So be in small groups. Uh, Get in classes. Gather with other believers over coffee and discuss what you're reading. Sometimes the Bible can be complex. Sometimes you don't know you're reading poetry. You don't know you're reading a parable. Sometimes you don't know you're reading history. And so when you get and read it with other people and you read some books, you go, oh, now I understand what this is really about. Because if not, you can get really confused. I have a lot of people in my church, a lot of young people, they hadn't been taught how to read the Bible. So they come to me with weird ideas. This one guy wrote me a nine page letter. I'd sit down and meet with him because the whole thing said, I've been reading the Bible. A lot of the Old Testament prophets, you start getting nervous there. And uh, he said, I've been reading the Old Testament prophets, and it's really clear to me what I need to do. I'm supposed to smoke more marijuana. That's what I'm supposed to do. She <laughs> so he said, I've been reading about these burnt offerings, and uh, they use these censors and burning. And I'm like, no, no, this is not what the Bible is saying. Like, it's not saying that. He's like, but what about the burning bush? I mean, it seems so obvious to me. And that's, It's obvious because you've been smoking marijuana while you read the Bible. Like... <laughs> You should not do that. Don't do that. (laughs) So I'm just curious how many of you would say, hey, for seven days, I'm just going to give it a try, Pastor. I'm just, for seven days, I'll take at least six minutes, and every day for the next week, I'm going to read the Bible and pray. I'm just going to give it a try. If you're willing to do that, just say, I'm going to try for a week and see if it helps or see if it's a disaster. Awesome. I'm going to pray for all of you as you do that. So be real, be kind, seek beauty, seek God, fifthly be hospitable. We're we're a people made for this. We're made to get around the table and eat good food with people. We have a belief at our church at Ecclesia that it is impossible to hate someone that you eat good food with. It's impossible. I think if you eat good food with them, you just go, I didn't think I liked that guy, but we had surf and turf and I love him now. It just... He's amazing. They pulled out this beautiful cab, and I just think he's really a great guy. It, it just changes things. When you sit around the table and you eat good food together, you get to know one another. You, you develop much more deeply. If, if you want to share the good news of Jesus with people, knock on your neighbor's doors. Literally, I think we could leave all of the northwest sub- suburbs to Jesus two steaks at a time. Just two steaks at a time. Just knock on your neighbor's door and say, I'm firing up the grill, I got two extra steaks. Would you guys like to join us? Who wouldn't want to join you, right? And just begin to sit down at the table and get to know people. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a place where we're all equal. It's where we're reminded of God's goodness and his grace. It's also a place uh, where we get to, I think, be a part of solving really difficult problems that couldn't be solved in a courtroom uh, or in uh, just a, a regular conversational exchange. So one of the difficult things in our world today is that our culture in the United States is still deeply divided by race, deeply divided. We're seeing this summer divisions and injustices, and, playing, and we don't know what to do. I, I, I want to share with you just a few things. As a pastor who pastors many people of color, if you're white especially, I want to say to you today, Whatever problem, however you rate the problem of racism, I just want to tell you as a pastor, it's worse than you think it is. It, you, you, just because you haven't experienced it maybe, and so you just think it doesn't seem like that big of a deal because I haven't seen it up close. And I just want to tell you as a pastor who gets to peer behind in the stories of people in my life and in my church, it's worse than you think it is. And, and then to say, likely you're like me, and many of us, especially for white, we we have a tendency to think, well, if there were injustices long ago, um, we can't do anything about them, so we just need to let them go. Like, how can they matter? How can we deal with injustices from a long time ago? I just, so we just think our general attitude is just we'll get over it. But I just have to tell you, it's not that easy to get over. So let me tell you a story that may help you understand. Trying to figure out how to share this with people, and I realized a story in my own family made some sense. So, um, my grandfather was a pastor for 60 years in the same city that I pastored. Like a lot of pastors, especially in that day, like Darren's dad, didn't make a lot of money. He was ready to retire in 1990, and he had a grand total of $80,000 in his retirement account, right? If you know much about retirement, that's not going to take you very far. But he had a little house that he had uh, built for his mom. It needed some renovation, but he thought, if I renovated that house, it's paid off. We live in it. He would preach at little country churches. He thought we could live a simple life and we could be okay. So he hired a contractor in his church, who'd been a long-time deacon in the church, to do the renovation. The guy said, oh, I can do this. It'll be beautiful. We'll get it done really well. The thing will go a lot more smoothly and quickly. We won't have any big hiccups. If you can just pay me that money up front. It was basically his whole retirement account, $80,000. And my trusting grandfather thought, I've known this man forever, and he wrote him a check. And you can imagine where this story's going. This guy didn't do the work. In fact, he went to the house, and he stole things from the house and tore the place up. And then, you know, I wanted to sue him. My grandfather said, we can't sue him because he's a Christian. I'm like, no Christian would do this to his pastor. He can't be a Christian. You know, and then I'm like, can we beat him up? And he wouldn't let us do that either. Um <laughs> It was just hard, and part of what happened was my grandfather then took out a loan at a really high interest rate to remodel it, and they ran out of money fast. I was 25, 26 when I started supporting my grandparents with other family members, but every month, one, two, three, four, five, $600, whatever we could send that month. Now, track with me. That that began in the mid-'90s. So 25 years later, I'm... I'm now ready to send my oldest daughter to college. She's smarter than I am. She's like gonna get into really great schools on the East Coast. None of them are cheap. There's no college fund. Now imagine if I had spent that money, all of it in a college fund, it would be a different day today for my daughter and for me. I feel a little shame that I'm not ready to send her to school. So an injustice from 25 years ago still matters to me today. Is everybody tracking? Do you understand? It hurts today. It hurts for my daughter and my family. So imagine with me then a greater injustice. Imagine one greater than a theft of $80,000. Imagine a family 60 years ago in Illinois that a mother was lynched, or near my home 85 years ago where a mother was lynched with two of her children, That injustice trickles down for many years. Families don't get over those injustices easily. So this is what I want to tell you. I don't have a solution for the problem, but I believe what it takes are Christian people gathering at the table and hearing stories and learning to empathize and having real compassion and figuring out together what they're never going to figure out in Congress, that we can bridge that divide. And I believe it's on the church. The best place for it to happen is at the table with really good food. i got more solutions to it in terms of what I think radical generosity looks like in the midst of that justice, but I'd just first invite you into the conversation and ask you to pray. So be real, be kind, seek beauty, seek God, be hospitable, and then sixthly, serve others. This is what we're made to do. God sent Abraham out and he said, I'm going to bless you to what? To be a blessing. If you're blessed today, and my guess is from looking around, many of you go, I'm blessed. Why are you blessed? You're blessed to be able to bless others. You're a conduit for it, and it's the life we're made to live. Uh, my, my friend, George H.W. Bush, has a, uh, isn't it great to be able to say that? I'm just dropped that in regular conversations. <laughs> my favorite quote of his is um, that he says, there is no definition of a successful life That does not involve service to others. I think he's right. I think any successful life is rooted in service to other people. You just look and you find ways to serve. Again, these won't happen by accident. Find where you're going to volunteer, not just to give money, but to volunteer, to serve, to live a life that's focused on other people. It's what we're made for. Be real, be kind, seek beauty, seek God, be hospitable, serve others. And then lastly, be a church that's prepared to mourn and celebrate well. Part of what happens for us in the church, we're uniquely the one community given this command by Paul, right? He says, celebrate with those who have something to celebrate. Anybody get a promotion or a raise this week? Probably in this economy, not many, but anybody? You don't want to raise your hand because you're afraid your tide will go up. Good, good. We've noted that. Tithe is going up there. Um, that's good. Right? If you got so, we want to celebrate with you. Like, that's good news. That's really good news. And at the same time, we have people in the room that have lost people that they love this week or last week. Every time we come together, we have to figure out how do we celebrate with the people who have something to celebrate and mourn with the people who need us to mourn. And often what happens is we don't mourn well. A study that I read recently said what most people expect after you lose a loved one is that you've got six weeks to talk about it, to be sad, to work through it. At the end of six weeks, you know what they'd expect? Just for you to be over it. It's not realistic. If you lose somebody you love, you're not going to be over it in six weeks. In fact, for Jewish people, they'd have seven days of Shiva. They'd sit on the floor. They'd rip their clothes. They'd only eat food. They'd cry together. They'd live as a family. And then they'd enter into for a month something called shloshim. You you wouldn't take luxurious baths. You wouldn't go out to big parties. you'd You'd simplify your life because you'd say to everybody, you'd wear unkept clothes in a way that just says, I'm mourning. I lost someone and I'm kind of a mess. Your pastor's lost his father recently. He's in shloshim. In fact, when you lose a parent, that's extended 12 months because for at least 12 months, you're trying to make sense of the world as it is now. Westridge, I believe that the church is the healthiest place if we'll mourn in community. It's the healthiest place to mourn and to lose. One of my favorite things you do in Shloshim is that every day you get together to read a prayer, a prayer called the Kaddish. It's a two thousand year old prayer. But when you read the prayer, this is the thing: you don't just read it alone. You got to find ten friends to read it with you. Can you imagine in the midst of mourning, just every day you go, I need nine friends. I need nine friends. You don't have a quorum until you have 10. And you can end up with 15 or 20 or 30, but every day people would come over and just takes you about three or five minutes just come over and go, hey, let's say the prayer. We're just still going to acknowledge you have experienced a deep loss. Westridge, you can be the kind of community that celebrates, well, good things happen. You can throw some awesome parties. I've heard. I want to be invited. And you can mourn well. And you can be real and you can serve others and you can be really hospitable and you can seek God and you can seek beauty. I'm praying that as we lead towards communion now, as we direct our worship towards response, that many of you would say, I'm going to give that a try. And my um, belief is that if you'll do that, whether the circumstances around you are going well or not well, that you'll experience the joy of our Lord. So God bless you. Thanks for letting me be with you today.